I laughed because 8.30 was not prepared for that. They were just like, <sighs> it was wild. It was wild. But hey, I am happy that you are here. My name is Kyle. I am one of the pastors here. If you are a guest, if you are not a guest, if you have been here forever, if you are older than me, if you are younger than me, if you are, your butt is in a seat, I just want you to know that I'm happy you're here. You make today special because we, on our best day, could never recreate the moment we're about to share. And so I'm excited for that. I hope that you're ready. Are you guys ready? Okay, good. Well, we're going to have some fun today. Here's my question for you. We're in the middle of this series called Sugar and Spice, uh, you know, because it's everything nice. Um, but uh, we're looking at uh, the, the gospel story or the, the Christmas story through the lens of an acronym, SPICE. And it's kind of values to our church's testimonies. It's, it's kind of what we as a church value, that simplicity, peace. Uh, e, um, I forgot the order, sorry. Uh, integrity, intentionality, community, and equality. And today we're on C, we're talking about community. And I love it because today is a beautiful collision of a lot of things. We have our joy candle in the Advent liturgical calendar. We're talking about community today, and I think that they, believe it or not, coincide. So here's the question I have for you as we jump into the message today. Does community matter? Does community matter? Should it? Now, I'm going to answer this, but I just want you to think about that as I begin to answer, because I'm going to answer it both uh, theologically, spiritually, scientifically, philosophically, logically. I'm hoping to, to get everybody here, but let's just, let's start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. We learned this in Genesis. He created order. He, he said it's good after every turn of the creation story. He created Adam and he said, this is good. And he did something very unique that he did with no other created being. He breathed his breath into it, which means that humanity is the only thing that's fully physical and fully spiritual. See, angels are fully spiritual, but they have not an ounce of physicality to them. My dog, I love him. He's all physical. I don't know that he has much of a soul. I definitely know it knows that he, he doesn't have a soul that needs saving because he can't. He's emotionally lost, okay? I talk about that all the time. <laughs> but I tell you that because there's something in that story because when he finished creating Adam, he said, this is good, but it's not good enough. And why am I telling that is because I think that he answers the theological question, does community matter? Because the fullness of our spirituality cannot be known in isolation. It can only be discovered in community. That's why he said, I'm going to give you a suitable helper. And he created Eve and he said, now this is good. Community matters. Community is actually what is the essence of our humanity. It's what makes us realize. It actually is what the, the purpose of our experiences are to share them. And in the absence of community, we can experience a great thing, but it's not as great because we did it alone. And, and so here, here's what's interesting. Scientifically, statistically, data. I, I put some stats on your screen that are really intriguing. Uh, here's 61% of adults, and this is a 2023 study. It's this last year. They said what? Uh, that having a close friend is extremely or very important, important, right? It's the key foundation to a fulfilled life. Now that's great. That's really great. But here's what's even crazier. The average person, what does it say? The average person has 10 to 15 people in their circle. 100 to 150 acquaintances. Thank you, Facebook. You know, we all have about 100, 150 people that we need to know every turn of their life but they don't get a Christmas card because they're just Facebook friends. 
We got to know what their kids' Christmas concert pictures were like. We got to like those. We got to jump in on all the drama, but they ain't coming to Christmas dinner. We don't buy them Christmas gifts. They're acquaintances. And then what does it say? Uh, Three to five struggle. We as adults struggle to find three to five close friends. And I think it's really important because we're raising a generation that knows more about the, the social media style friendships than the intimate real friendships. And so I think community has a lot to do with it. I love this last one. Data from 148 studies have shown that people with a stronger social connection are 50% more likely to survive. Now, I know what you're saying because you probably read data the same way I do. Survive is just a broad word. What does that really mean? What does survive mean? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Weak social relationships or lack of friends is correlated with a greater risk of death regardless of age, sex, health status, or cause of death. It's, uh, it's really a, a sad um, day, but, but I, I know that my, my, you know, we've shared about it, we've prayed about it, um, but my assistant, you know, she's battling cancer. And, and there's a direct correlation, whether we want to, to really say it, we really want to give it as much credit as it deserves, but I will tell you, one's will to live and the reason that they fight to live if there was not a community factor to it, I doubt that there would be much will. And it's painful to watch that battle endure in her as she keeps having to remind herself of why it is important to live. But it's directly connected to our social circles and who we do life with. I remember uh, I got married and uh, it was awesome first year of marriage. It was crazy. And then my wife and I, we got, you know, kicked out of the nest. We had to experience our first hard thing as a young married couple. We relocated to uh, the Western side of the country out to Montana, 32 hours from anyone we knew, anyone we liked, anyone we loved. We were there by ourselves and, and it was awkward and it was fun. And, and I'm just true confession. If I could be honest with you, I'm kind of one of those people that um, I'm, I, I like my introvert time. Can I get an old school? Amen. <laughs> like I love Sunday. I love Sunday. I love you all. I love the lobby. But Sunday afternoon, I love no kids, no talking. I just do. It's, it's my jam. And so first Christmas as a married couple, it was wild. It was fun. You're like the star of the show. Everyone's like, yay. And they make it a big deal. Well, we had moved to Montana. We're heading into our second round of holidays. And I was so excited because it was Thanksgiving. And my wife's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, nothing. And I can't wait. And so we did what all cool people who do nothing on Thanksgiving do. We went to Cracker Barrel. We had an amazing meal. And it was about midway through the meal that I realized how painful nothing was. I scoured the restaurant and, and it, was, it was actually more like a funeral. It was somber. It was all of these people sitting either by themselves or couples who had nobody else. And no one would make eye contact. There was no joy. It was, it was just solemnness. It was like, we have to eat this meal because that's what you do on Thanksgiving. Nothing else matters. And I, and I remember looking and just going, this is, this is depressing. What is this? And then I, I remember like going home and being like, what do you want to do now? And we're like, let's watch a movie. And then I, I just remember like going to bed at eight o'clock because I just wanted the day to end. 
so Black Friday could begin. Because at least in a store, there's more community and more joy or more entertainment than just this. And then I remember going back to work that following week and my assistant, she came up to me and she's like, hey, how was Thanksgiving? What'd you guys do? We did, I'm like, we did nothing. She goes, that's awful. I'm like, yeah, it was awful. She's like, well, Matt, we're solving that. You're coming to my family's house on Christmas. And I was like, before I ever thought about it, you ever get cornered where you just say yes and you didn't really think through the yes? And I just, yes, we are. And I came home and told my mom, I'm like, we're going to, her name's Ray Lynn. We're going to Ray Lynn's house. And then I found out it wasn't at Ray Lynn's house. It was three hours away at Ray Lynn's family's cabin with 25 other people. And I was like, What? And I remember we went to Christmas, we're driving and, and my wife and I, the whole three hours, we're rehearsing our, our phrases to know how to help each other get out of certain conversations. Um, what is our white flag word when we know we just have to leave? <laughs> like all of these little scenarios that we could escape. And we get to this cabin and it, it's in the middle of a national forest. And so like literally one foot off their deck and you're in the national forest. I mean, and that's a big deal because they wanted to take down a tree and they had to use like an ax and make it look like a beaver did or else they'd get in trouble and get fined. I should, probably should not have said that, okay? But whatever, okay, right? And, it, and it's just right there in the beautiful mountains. And, and I'm like, this is gonna be awesome. And then I walk in the cabin and it's a beautiful cabin. And I'm like, okay, where's our room? And they're like, well, we don't really have rooms here. Like, what do you mean you don't have rooms here? Like, everyone just stays in the loft. I walk up the loft, and it's just this, I don't know, 1,400 square feet of beds. And they're like, that's your bed. And I was like, uh, okay. And so I remember, like, uh, I, I didn't know Ambien existed, but I prayed for it. <laughs> I really did. And I was like, Lord, I, I don't know how to get through this, but we, we just did. And, and, I, and I remember that night, it was all the different sounds you hear when, when you have a multi-generational sleeping chorus of snoring and crying and noises. And it was awful. And then at like two o'clock, the kids started screaming because they thought they heard reindeer. And so we had to run down and check. And it wasn't just like, hey, it's okay. Well, let's wait till the morning. They're like, no, we see. I mean, the parents are screaming and I'm like, what are we doing? And then they got each had to get open one gift because the excitement was too high. And it was just like, okay, so we finally get back to bed. And then there was this one lady and she had this dog and she had attachment issues. I don't know if you've ever had people like that. They have attachment issues to their pets. The attachment is the dog was crying for someone to put it down, but they loved it so much they refused to put it down. I mean, it was this dog. It was blind. It could do nothing. It served no purpose. It just would sit there. They would have to pick it up and take it outside for it to go to the bathroom. I'm pretty sure if I took a Nerf gun to it, it would die. I mean, it was just that fragile. And I, there's a point to this, people. I'm telling you, there's a point, okay? So I remember, it was like four o'clock in the morning. And I was awoken to this older lady and her dog. It was four o'clock. She had to take it out. She picked it up and then she proceeded to fall down the stairs. It was crazy. And the amount of noises that you didn't know if it was the dog or if it was her, it was just everywhere. And I remember looking over at my wife and I'm like, what do I do? And my wife is normally the empathetic one. She's the one that jumps in and helps. She's, all, she's just like, pretend you're sleeping. I'm like, okay, okay. And I was just like, we are done. I'm out, okay. And it was crazy. It was crazy. Hey, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter two today. I, um, 
No, I'm not joking. We're going to jump into Matthew 2. I will tell you why I told you that story in a second. There's a point to it. We're going to have some fun. Uh, we're looking at the story of the three wise men. And I think the three wise men help us understand something about community. Uh, for lack of better terms, they're one of the first small groups in all of Scripture that journeyed to see Jesus together. And I think there's things that we can learn from this story. And I will tell you this, the, the collision of this beautiful morning is that the, the key to the joy candle in our liturgical year and the key to community as one of our testimonies is that we will never have joy outside of community. Community is essential for us to experience the fullness of God on this side of eternity. And I think the wise men help us unpack that story. Uh, today, before I jump into the story, I think it's really cool. Whenever I approach a text, I ask myself a few questions. They're very simple questions. They're not theologically like hard concepts. I just simply ask myself, who, what, when, where, why? And it's a good foundation to start to understand what is the context of this situation before we jump into it. So can we answer a few of those questions? Who are the players in the story? Well, number one, we got this guy named Jesus. It's the fullness of God who stepped out of eternity into humanity, but he didn't come like a king that we wanted him to come. He came as a baby. And it was a whole crazy story. Uh, there was a, a teenage girl who got pregnant, but, but she got pregnant in this really crazy, immaculate way, and her husband was going to leave her, but, but then the angel appeared to him, and that's a whole story. And then you got this, this guy named Herod. And, and Herod, I, I think we know about Herod. Herod's kind of a mixed bag of people. Uh, check this out. It says this about Herod. Uh, he was also called Herod the Great. He was the ruler of the Roman province of Judea. He is probably best remembered in the New Testament story because he ordered all children under two around Bethlehem to be killed. I don't know about you, but I don't want to ever be remembered in history as someone who just had a bunch of kids killed. That's not good, right? He's a mixed bag. Now I say he's a mixed bag because he did amazing things for technology and archaeology and architecture in Judea of that time. He did things that were ahead of his time. He was a, he was a very good builder, but he was a terrible person. This person was so insecure, so insecure at, at, that he would literally destroy anything that he thought threatened his name in the history books. So when he heard that this baby was going to be born, he ordered a whole bunch of people to be killed. In fact, he didn't like his son and the thought of his son taking his throne. So while he was still living, he had his son killed. This man was horrible. And then we have these guys called the wise men. I don't know what translation you use, but a better word than wise men would be magi. Magi connects to a bigger narrative in all of scripture. And it's interesting how we, we do things to make the story pleasant. We add names. Like I could probably ask you and some of you would be like, well, there was this one wise man, his name was this, but yet nothing in history tells us a name at all. We try to subscribe or ascribe what the gifts meant, yet nothing in history really tells us what the gifts meant. We are only guessing. We also limit it to three wise men, yet scripture doesn't use the word three. It says a group. In fact, at that time in history, what we know for certain is it wasn't three. It was probably an entourage of 100 or 150 people searching for a king. I find it funny when I was a kid here, we did a youth program and I played the fourth wise man. It was like the not good enough silly brother of one of the wise men. My name was Bilbo and I like brought bubbles. 
And I'm like, oh my, how far we've come, church. <laughs> right? It was funny and it's traumatic. Okay. Um, so that's the who. Uh, so what? what? What is the reason they all do this? And I think the story at the end says that they had come to worship him. These wise men, these magi were in pursuit of the king so that they could worship him. Where? Well, it started in Jerusalem. It started in the province of Judea where they met Herod and they're like, hey, we've come to see the king. Surely the, the most powerful ruler in this area would know. And he's like, what are you talking about? Who is this? And so they ended up moving six miles south of Jerusalem to a little town in Bethlehem where they ultimately found baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and they honored him with gifts and they worshiped him. And so here's the question that we have to really answer. Why does any of this matter? And, and I want to slow down because I want to spend the most time here. Why does it matter? Why is really important. And if we don't understand the simple, not simple, but the, the, the subtle clues of who the Magi were, we often can miss the importance of the why of this story. A couple, of, actually it was last year. Yeah, last year, we, we did a series on a guy named Daniel. He's a prophet uh, in the Old Testament. And, and if you would indulge me, let's go backwards. Uh, you will remember that during the time of the prophet Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, invaded the land that Israel called home. He, he took it over and he dispersed God's people. He took the sons of, of the Israel's best and he said, you will come and you will serve in my kingdom. And he moved them to Babylon. And that's where Daniel was trained until he broke out through honoring his position and he grew his stature and wisdom and he took on a lot of uh, power in the kingdom of Babylon. We know in that region today, it is Iraq and Iran. While they're in this exiled state, these dispersed Jews, because of their hard work, their intellect and their spirituality began to achieve some measure of prominence and even power. Most prominent among them was prophet Daniel. Daniel lived in this time and age, which is really unheard of. He lived to be more than a hundred years old. It's therefore a time unfolded these exiled Israelites with their power force in Babylon. Ultimately, Babylon was conquered, though, by the Persians. The Persians at that time continued uh, to, to have a scalable economy. And so wouldn't you know it that the Magi in the midst of this economy, Daniel himself even found favor. And under the Persian rulers, in fact, he created a special tribe of people that we do know as the Magi. In fact, scripture tells us he was the chief Magi. Why is that important? Well, if Daniel in the Old Testament is referred to as the chief magi, and we know that Daniel's tomb is, is located in, the, in Susa, present-day Iran, it was Daniel who became the inspirational force behind the magi, encouraging them to set aside the pagan worship that was all around them, to focus on the worship of the Hebrew God, and to adopt Old Testament principles, the necessity for blood sacrifice in order to atone for wrongdoing. These magi gained a reputation. They became a powerful force in the Persian Empire. Over the period of time, they became highly schooled in fields such as astronomy, astrology, agriculture, architecture, natural history, and natural science, and of course, Hebrew prophecy. The Magi became the most sophisticated people of their time, and while they were not rulers, they amassed a certain reputation and a certain power that they become known as the people who coronated kings. If I would say that in a smaller way, they became the kingmakers of the East. 
Anytime someone rose to power, anytime someone was, was anointed or, or given power, the Magi were the people that orchestrated the, in the power giving moment, the celebration, the service, if you will, of transferring the power. They were kingmakers. So why am I telling you all this? Well, the why of this entire story simply comes down to this. There was Magi from the East who came to make a king. They came to make a king. They came to coronate the king of the Jews. The long-awaited one. They came for him. So let's jump into the story. And before we do that, we have to ask ourselves, so what does this have to do with community? Well, the lens that I want to read this story through is, if this was truly a small group of people, an entourage of royal people who, who waited their entire life, who heard stories passed down for generations about a king that was coming, could you imagine the excitement and the anticipation as when they saw the star, they studied the skies, they knew in this moment that there was someone that needed to be crowned king, that they worked together, and they went on what, at the very least, a four-month journey with a hundred people traveling far beyond their, their normal pathways and their normal distances to go make a king. They were the first small group in scripture that pursued something together. So I want to read this and we'll kind of unpack it as we go. Let's pick up in Matthew uh, chapter two, verse one. It says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem and they asked, where is this newborn king? So here's my first point. You got to go with me through the lens of community. Here, here's the thing. They were looking for a king. And my question for you is, are you surrounding yourself with people who are looking for the same things you are? Science tells us that, that we will only ever become the average of our five closest friends. Why is that important? Well, I actually think that many of us in this room right now, we have been seeking out a better life. We have been chasing something. We've been pursuing something. We've been trying to arrive at something and we keep failing to get there. And I would just ask you, is it the people that you're surrounding yourself with that are holding you back because they're not chasing the same things you are? Merry Christmas. What a great Christmas message. <laughs> like for real, this is the season where we're, out of obligation, we have to go be with family. That whether we like or not, we have to be there. This is a season of celebration where out of obligation, we have to go to work parties with people that we already have to deal with nine to five. Now we've got to hang out with them after five. This is a season where we have to get together. And here's the deal. I'm not telling you to break any of those things. I, I think you should honor your commitments. I, I'm telling you, sometimes you just got to play the part. Sometimes you have to endure things. But maybe, just maybe in 2024, we should really take account of who we're doing this thing called life with. Because we are never going to arrive at the place we are meant to if we don't arrive there with the people who are looking for the same thing we are. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw and we have come to worship him. King Herod, hearing this, learning this for the first time, deeply disturbed as was everyone in Jerusalem, he, he called a meeting and he said, I, I need all the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. I need anyone who can give me an answer. What are they talking about? And I, I love that. Uh, here's, here's the deal, right? He was deeply disturbed. Can I, can I just be honest in our politically correct culture where we can't handle not being liked? 
Can I just tell you this? We will always disturb those who aren't looking for the same things we are. We will always disturb those who aren't pursuing the same things we are. I, I love this. I, I love when, uh, right, you, you get this place in life where you're like, you know what? I'll tell you this story. I had a buddy, we lived outside of New York City and he got saved and he would just share his testimony one day. He's like, man, I had money. I had women, I had power. And this dude did. He was one of the senior brokers at BlackRock, one of the largest, most corrupt investing firms in all the world. <laughs> he had it all, man. And he's like, but then Jesus, he, he, he flipped everything. He changed everything. He ruined everything. I don't want that life anymore. And then he'd tell me, yeah, it's crazy because I don't want those things anymore. The people I used to do life with don't want to hang out with me anymore. I love it when someone gets saved and, 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 and right with saved, they, they come to the saving reality that the gospel is true. They, they confess with their mouth. They believe in their heart that Jesus is who they say they are. And all of a sudden they put on these, these lenses and they see the world differently. And all of a sudden they go, you know, I don't want to do those things anymore. Yet their friends keep calling them. And then they feel guilt. They feel torn. They feel, but, but I, I, I don't know what else to do with my Friday night than go to the bar or to go do this. I, I don't know what else to do. And so we don't help them as the church. We don't invite them and usher them into a new community. We just kick them off into isolation. And no, I'm just kidding. We don't do that. I hope we don't do that. In fact, we should probably evaluate if we do that or not. But my whole question or my whole observation is that a lot of people never get going in this thing called following Jesus is because they don't know how to separate their old life with their new desires. And they deeply desire what's organic and authentic and real, but they don't know how to create what wasn't there. They only know how to go back to what was. And I'm gonna tell you, just so you know, when you level up in life, you're always gonna disturb those who don't wanna level up with you. And that's okay because other people's comfort, other people's opinions, other people's thoughts about your decisions only end up robbing your joy if you just pursue their opinions. Live for an audience of one and understand you are going to offend and disturb a lot of people in the process. Where is the Messiah supposed to be born in Bethlehem and Judea? They answered. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, is not least among the ruling cities, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of God's people in Israel. I don't have a point here. It's just an observation. It blows my mind. And I would caution us all. This is a cautionary phrase in this story. Here's what blows my mind. Is Herod calls together a whole bunch of religious people and the religious people knew exactly what the Magi were after and exactly where he was located. Why is that a concern? Because I fear there's a lot of religious people in this room who know all about Jesus, but don't know Jesus and won't do what it takes to pursue him. And I don't want you to be on the wrong side of history where you checked the boxes, you showed up at church, you could read scripture as good as Satan and his demons, but you actually don't know the King of Kings because they knew all about this person that was coming, yet they didn't care. These magi, they sacrificed everything to go and see for themselves, the king of kings. 
Then Herod called for a private meeting with these magi, these wise men, and he learned from them the time that the star first appeared. And then he told them this, go back to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, this wise men went on their way and the star that they had seen in the past guided them to a little town called Bethlehem and went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy, with joy. I just mean this to encourage you and to affirm maybe some of your life choices, but you know that you're in a good group of people. When a group of people value the same thing, they celebrate the same thing. Uh, one of our elders, he shared this with me in a meeting and it just stuck with me. He said, hey, when, when, when people value the same thing, they could do a lot together. They can pull much weight. They can go a great distance together. They can accomplish great things together. When people don't value the same things, they can always be trusted to go in different directions. Here's my thing is, is when you achieve something, when you're celebrating something, are your friends there celebrating what you're celebrating? Because that's a huge indicator they value what you value. If you have friends who are, are sitting here and they're, they're upset at your promotion, they're upset at your bonus, they're upset at your success, they're upset at you, they don't celebrating what you're saying. I'm telling you, you can just trust that they're gonna ultimately go a different direction than you. Because when people achieve something together and they celebrate and worship and they're filled with joy together, you know we're in good company. And we can achieve great things. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother. Mary and them bowed and Mary and Joseph and then they bowed down and they worshiped him. They opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And I love this because everyone wants to tell me what gold, frankincense and myrrh is. And so here I'm going to tell you it's gold, it's frankincense, it's myrrh. <laughs> Good things. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. My last point. And, and I would tell you, it's the most powerful one for me uh, because I, I talk to a lot of people in my life. And, and, and a lot of the questions that come up is, how, how do I know God's will? How, how do I know he's calling me to do this? How, how, do I, how do I do this? Or how do I know this is him? How do I know this is not just my pride? Or how do I do this? And I go, I don't know. Because we're all asking that question. We're all asking that question. But what I find comforting in this story is, is what I find is when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by a different route because they had been warned. There's always the they. That's what I love about the Christmas story is it's they. What, was, what am I saying? Is the Holy Spirit never speaks in isolations. Our communities confirm our convictions. One of my favorite parts about this Christmas story, and when we miss it, is that every turn of the narrative, someone confirms with a group of people. You know, right? The shepherds had the angel show up in front of them, and together they went and testified. When Mary was approached by an angel, the angel said, don't, don't be afraid, and she was terrified. And then he says, hey, but listen, listen, listen. I, I've even made your cousin Elizabeth pregnant too. And then what does the story do? We don't miss this part. She goes and she sees Elizabeth. And there's one of my favorite parts of the whole Christmas story is it says that when Mary got to Elizabeth, 
right? Because Elizabeth was pregnant with her son who was ultimately gonna become John the Baptist. What does it say? Do you know the first person who knew who Jesus was in the entire story? It says that when Elizabeth got close to Mary, the baby in her womb leaped for joy because he knew he was in the presence of a king. Mary confirms with Elizabeth that God is who he says he is. What am I telling you, church? I'm telling you that, listen, when you say God told me, be careful not to put God up on a shelf where no one can talk to touch or, or challenge because you are probably going to be led astray. Because we serve a God who speaks truth in community. And what he told you, he will always confirm in those closest to you. And so if you're wrestling with the decision, if you're wrestling with this job promotion, if you're wrestling with this big risk, can I tell you, if it hasn't been confirmed yet, don't move. Don't move. Because the Holy Spirit always confirms our convictions in community. Joy. Joy, joy, joy. That Christmas Eve where I almost killed the dog with a Nerf gun, it was the weirdest, wildest Christmas of my life. There's moments where I was crying. There's moments where I was balled up in the fetal position, trying to figure out how to get out of the situation. And there's moments where I was laughing my head off. But what I loved about that and why we spent the next five Christmases at that cabin <laughs> is because we became family. In the midst of all of our differences, in the midst of all of our opinions, and my gosh, they were an opinionated bunch. In the midst of the differences, I mean, I'm one of these persons of order. I grew up in a house where, you know, we took all the gifts out from the tree and we, we gave them to each individual. And then in order, we opened them so everyone could experience the joy. They are some chaotic anarchist bunch that just everyone, if they had your name on it, or if you just, just rip it open and whatever happens, happens. And I'm sitting here going, what? But in the midst of what made me uncomfortable, I do remember in the midst of all the chaos, having to do chores. Because if I sat at the table to eat, then I could participate in cleaning. I remember having to take out the trash with their youngest son. I remember having to, to scrub the counter with the, and, and wash the dishes and load the dishwasher and clean up the wrapping paper because if you're there, you have a part to play in this thing called family. I remember every Christmas after looking forward to certain parts. I remember the, the conversations at night around the fire, the conversations where we talked about what God was up to, what we were laughing at, the relationships. What I love is that when their son got deployed in the, in the military, guess who he came and saw? When, when he was getting married, guess who he called? And I got to fly out and do his wedding. Guess who, in spite of whatever geographical location, is still family to this day, that if I was in need, I could call them and I know that they had my back. Because family isn't something we put up with. It's not something we tolerate. It's something we make. And our family has the capacity to become a community that changes everything. And what I learned that Christmas is that the biggest part of a holiday is the chaos. Because it's in the midst of the chaos that we actually figure out what really matters. It's the small moments that you steal away. It's the joy. It's the nap after. It's the, can you believe what this person said? Can you believe how stupid this gift was? 
Who needs nail clippers for Christmas? Right? It's all of these things that, that you look back on and it's actually what severs in your mind what's supposed to be and what really is. And it gives us hope to cling to what we want and to keep fighting for it. I will close with this if you'll allow me because my hope and my prayer for all of us <laughs> is that if someday on my tombstone, all that is written is he journeyed to see a king. I'd be 100% okay. I think that's an incredible testimony. In fact, if the totality of my life is I was on a mission with my family to see a king, I did my part. Because I promise in that together we would see the king, the king of kings. And this is where I want to close. Uh, in Manger Square in Bethlehem today, there stands the oldest church building in the entire world, the Church of the Nativity. It's built over where historians and theologians believe the spot where Jesus was born. And during the seventh century, Persian warriors from the east, they invaded Bethlehem and they had a mission to destroy anything and everything that was Christian related. Every building, every home, every other church was destroyed, wrecked with joy and glee. But what one building was not destroyed was the church of the nativity. When the Persian warriors entered the church of the nativity and determined to destroy it, suddenly they noticed on a wall a mosaic, a mosaic in which you could still see today, a mosaic of pictures of people who looked like them, people who were dressed like them, people who were bowed at a small child on the wall. And they said, oh, surely this is a holy place. They saw themselves portrayed on walls wearing clothes similar to them. And they that night made the decision not to destroy the church of the nativity. And I would ask you that we have an equal opportunity. Will our communities help embed in our families and our neighborhoods and our churches a journey of a history of where whether we look like each other or not, we can journey together in this thing called life to see the King? And will the stories, the testimonies, the, the history books communicate that outsiders were always invited to be insiders in the pursuit of Jesus. What legacy were all lives teach? And, and, and let me say it this way. I, I'm afraid many of us parents, if you're a parent, we have, like most of America, mile-wide relationships that are an inch deep. And what we're modeling for our kids is what they will pursue in their life. And so do you have close friends, moms and dads? Because if you don't have close friends, what makes you think your kids will have close friends? If you don't have tight-knit groups where you journey together, then why would your kids ever have tight-knit groups where they journey together? If you just have Facebook where whenever you're hurting, you just throw it out there and hope and see and then even equate, oh, this is how much I'm loved because these many people liked it, these many people responded, you entrust some scientific algorithm to be the value of your worth, then why would your kids do anything different? We have an opportunity to paint on the walls of our home a story of what someday history will tell about us. What are we in pursuit of? And hopefully it's Jesus, but what's just important of who we're in pursuit of is who we're pursuing it with. 
It's our community that leads to a lot of joy. And that's what it's really about. Would you stand as we close today? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for scripture. Thank you for what you're doing. God, I pray that right now you would speak to who needs to be spoken to. You would convict who needs to be convicted. That God, you would not, not shame, but you would encourage that if we don't have relationships, that Father, this church would help people find that we would set the table for organic communication, or, organic community to be found. That Father, you would help us to understand that we maybe have to lay down some preferences. We have to surrender some, some things in the pursuit of finding our tribe to do this thing called life with. And Father, if anyone does not know you, God, if, if someone here has not experienced the joy of salvation, Father, they have not experienced the goodness of you and that you stepped out of heaven to make a way. Father, I pray that they right now would confess with their mouth, they would believe in their heart that you are who they say you are. That God, we are rejoicing just as all of heaven is rejoicing for every name that has done that. So Father, we give you this moment for your glory. You are the King of kings, Lord of lords, and we adore you. We come and adore you for your goodness. We pray these things in your name. Amen, amen.